Thanks, Josh. So that's an amazing story. Um, and um, I can just tell you, um, I was on a text thread that just about lost its mind um, in the middle of that. I mean, anyway, it's just, um, yeah, how, how's it going? Um, we're canceling the surgery right now. Um, that's an amazing, amazing story of God's presence and activity in our midst. Um, our, our, there's that Christmas song. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Um, our house is beginning to, well, I mean, there's, the decorations have been up and quite intentionally, but there's um, um, something more subtle happening around my house that makes me more and more sure that Christmas is on its way. You see, I have um, a, a mother-in-law who is a, uh, an avid, one might even say problematically generous, gift giver. She also has only one grandchild, <laughs> who is my daughter. And so um, our house is just being like overrun, overrun with gifts. Um, my, um, it's actually, there's, there's fewer and fewer places to step in my bedroom. Um, that's just the beginning of the stack, right, of like the Amazon boxes that are coming in. I almost tripped over one on my way down the stairs, literally, I'm not kidding, to come give this talk this afternoon. Um, I'm not sure that my mother-in-law knows that um, a wish list is not like an order form, right? Like, it's not like, this is what the child wants, therefore you must order everything on the list. We have tried to explain this actually, um, that there are other people who would also love to show their love for this child, and also the most loving thing for this child might not be for them to get every single thing on their wish list for Christmas. But there's no stopping her, that's just how it goes. You know, this Advent season, as we are preparing for Christmas as a church, we are, as Josh said, in the thick of a teaching series on the incarnation, um, teaching on this crazy idea that we celebrate, not just idea, but this reality that we celebrate each Christmas season in the church, that Jesus, that in Jesus, God actually took on humanity, um, that God um, took on human flesh, human body, human life, human limitation. Um, as we heard last week, um, God moves into the neighborhood, becomes one of us. And last week, Josh talked about the vulnerability of that. This week, um, I want to talk a little bit about the power of incarnation. And power, I take it, that has everything to do um, with God's love for us, um, which we've already heard a bit about this afternoon already. So as we, as we go further into this, if, um, if you'd pray with me. Um, Holy Spirit, Spirit of the living Christ, we just ask that you would be present here, that you would speak to each one of us what we need to hear this afternoon, that we would come to understand um, what's on offer to us um, in your drawing near to us in this Christmas season. Open your word to us that we might see your glory. Amen. I'm going to pick up in this, in this um, uh, first chapter of the Gospel of John. Um, I'm going to get a little bit of a running start at, our, at, our, at the verses that we're going to focus on for today. 
Um, John's in the midst of describing in sort of poetic form um, the way that Jesus as the, the, the Word, the Word of God has entered into the world. And he says, he was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. I want to start, we're going to sort of uh, move around a little bit in this, in this text, but I want to start right here at the end. The glory of a father's only son. The glory of a parent's only begotten child. Glory, I take it, is one of those church words that um, maybe, I don't know what happens to you, but it's one of those words that if we probably couldn't define it. I don't know if you like sort of go along and you read and it's, you know, you could pile up a bunch of church words um, and, and, and maybe we wouldn't get a whole bunch about it. We try to keep learning like what they mean from context or something like that. I think glory is one of those words. But the Gospel of John actually has a lot to say about glory, um, more than we're going to touch on here this afternoon. But one of the ways that John talks about glory, and one of the places John talks a lot about glory, is in what's called the farewell discourse. It's this long teaching that Jesus gives at the end of his life. And one of the key things that he's trying to explain to his disciples in that moment is he's trying to help them understand um, his glory and what his glory has to do with their glory. So, for example, we get um, in, uh, in, in chapter 17, he says, Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me, he's talking about his disciples, but maybe also us, I desire that they may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And we could multiply examples of this, um, especially in chapter 17, um, where it seems like we might get this understanding of glory that at least one of the ways we could understand glory is that glory is the outward evidence of belovedness. Glory is the outward evidence of belovedness. Jesus' glory is a sign of his Father's love for him. And it makes me think again about Junia's kind of ridiculous stack of Christmas presents that's growing, right? Like, this is the glory of a grandparent's only begotten grandchild, right? And it's going to continue to grow. Um, and this is the outward evidence of profound belovedness, right? It's excessive. It's over the top. It's almost embarrassing. This is some, you know, 
not nearly close even approximation, but it gets us in the direction of the Father's love for Jesus. And yet, throughout John, Jesus is asking the Father that we might be included in this glory, as we just read, included in this belovedness. And the key step to that is incarnation. He says, but we already read, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. The power of the incarnation, John says, is this. Through God's vulnerable choice to be with us in Jesus Christ, we receive the power, the authority, the right to become children of God. So when God and humanity touch in the incarnation, God takes on vulnerability and we receive power. But not just any power, we, have, we receive the power to become children of God. So in the incarnation, God takes on vulnerability in the Son of God taking on human flesh. And humanity, human beings receive power to become children of God, to become sons and daughters. So when we think, again, this is the last time I'll put this up, but when we think, again, of that ridiculous and growing pile of Christmas presents for Junia, we have to think, this is how God loves us. It's excessive, it's over the top, it's almost embarrassing, and yet somehow we enter into that glory, we enter into that belovedness, and the fact that there are decidedly more than one of us doesn't sort of, somehow it doesn't dilute this belovedness. God's love is just as over the top. It's just as excessive. And I take it that some of us here in this room simply need to hear this clearly and persistently, how much God loves you. You are so loved by God, loved before you lift a finger, loved whether or not you ever go on to lift a finger. You are loved. And so many of us are used to, we are deeply invested in other kinds of love. We're invested in what we might call inglorious love, right? Love that, that gives no outward expression. Some of you may have, had, may have come from the families of origin in which love had all, very little outward expression. Maybe you've gotten invested in that sort of love. Maybe we've gotten invested in, in maybe what we could call stingy love, love that's sort of, maybe there is some external evidence, but it's, it's apportioned very, very carefully. You may pick one item off the list, right? Or maybe even more, we've picked out a sort of, we've actually gotten invested in a kind of love that, that is precisely conditional. And we actually we're invested in that kind of love because it's conditional. You will receive one item off this list, off this list but only if you have earned it, if you've deserved it. And maybe we've actually gotten to the point where those sorts of gifts, gifts, only in in scare quotes at that point, those sorts of gifts are actually more valuable to us because we can decide that we have earned them. Those sorts of love aren't 
not only are they not the sort of love that God offers, um, and so it, 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 when God comes and offers a different sort of love for us, it's not just that all of a sudden we get something that we recognize as better. It is better, but many of us are invested enough in other kinds of love that God's love can feel, I don't know, it's not quite what we're after. I didn't have to work hard enough for it. It's, it's so extravagant, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure I can trust it. Is it trustworthy? Some of us, when offered the sort of love that God actually offers, we find that we'd rather prefer some other sort of love. Often, I take it a love that we have earned, a love that we had to work for, a love that, maybe even a love that sets us above some others. I saw a t-shirt a while back. I think it was on, um, it was on larknews.com. I think this like, website is like defunct now. Um, it's just sad. It's a sad loss. It was like, a, it was like, an, like evangelical Christian onion. Um, it was like, anyway, it was funny. Uh, just go with me. They, but they had this store, and they had um, a T-shirt. I'm actually going to show you the trucker hat version of this sentiment. Um, but yeah, the, the design is this. Um, if you can't read it, and Jesus loves you. Th then again, he loves everyone. I mean, the first time I, th I saw this design, I actually thought, like, I relate to that. Like, I get that. Seriously. And I think it, this gets something profoundly obviously you get something profoundly wrong about God's love, right? The mystery of God's love is precisely that God loves each of us with the love of, that a father or a parent might have for their only begotten child. But it also gets something profoundly right about the sort of love that many of us are looking for. Love that sells itself as evidence of our having bested somebody else. Love that's actually a little bit more like, like an evaluation than love. <laughs> love that sells itself as evidence of our being more lovable than someone else. And on that sort of scale, God's love maybe just doesn't sound that all, all that appealing to us. So as much as we need to hear that God loves us profoundly, unconditionally, we also may need actually to acquire a taste for the sort of love that God is offering. Or, or the more we hear about it, the more we may be inclined to sort of shrug our shoulders and say, that's cool, I'm glad I have that as a baseline. Um, I'm going to go work on some, like, some loves that are maybe a little harder to earn. Um, I can add those on top of God's love, and then I'll be even better off. A few years ago, I was, um, uh, I was teaching, and I had uh, a student who, every once in a while, you, uh, you get this sort of like email um, of desperation. Final papers were coming due, and um, a student <laughs> sent me a quick email like, hey, I have no idea. Like, it's definitely not office hours because it was like 9 p.m. at night. Um, but like, if you could 
check in with me briefly about my final paper. That would be amazing. <laughs> like, kind of like, I don't know, like in the next 90 minutes. Um, um, and I have no boundaries in my life. And this is not a, it's not, honestly, probably not a good thing that I like, was like ready to respond. But I was like, cool. And this was in the before times. So, um, so he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in a library. Um, can you come, come meet? And I'm like, sure, I'm in. Sounds great. Um, well, because, because he had mentioned in this email that he had some, he had some, he was writing his final paper for, for this class called Life Worth Living. And he had a growing sense, he said in the email, that the unconditional love of God is probably, um, probably necessary for a life worth living. And he just had a few questions about that. Okay, all right. So that's why I, I said like, okay, I'll come meet you. I'll come meet you at the library. And as I walked in, I mean, I, uh, you know, hey, just like, tell, tell me what's up. And he said, you know, I realize when I think about the sort of life that I want to live, the kind of person that I want to be, I, I want to be courageous. I want to be secured. But... I've never lived that way. It's almost even hard to imagine living like, like really freely, right? Into, forget what God might want from me, even to live freely into what I might want from me. Because I've always, in all of my life, I've always been trying to sort of get some sort of validation from someone somewhere. And he's like, so I, my hunch is, that to live the sort of life I want to live, I think I need a foundation of love. I need to know that, I like need to know that I 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 am loved. And I need that love to be reliable. Like I have wonderful parents, great friends. I don't think they're up to, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think that'll, I don't think that'll do. This student is, and here's the kicker. He says, I, so I, I think it has to be God. That's the only person who could love the way that I would need in order to live the sort of free life that I want to live. Free, courageous, secured. He's like, I'm, 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 I'm pretty sure that God doesn't exist. My hunch is you do, <laughs> so could we talk? And I would love to tell you that at the end of that conversation, he walked away and wrote some great final paper about, um, about how this God, as it turns out, does exist, and you can live your life just that way. He ended up writing a paper, I, I think like still like an extraordinary paper about how one would need that kind of God to exist and for that God to love you in order to live the sort of life that he was after. And he, and he said, like, I, I hope that God exists. I hope. 
convinced as he was that this sort of belief would change everything, it didn't mean that suddenly he could believe in that God who loved him unconditionally. But I was struck deeply by the clarity he had about how that love might completely transform his life. Because I, at least in theory, believe in exactly that sort of God, and yet I don't live that sort of life that he was after. Right? So it was a challenge to my faith to ask, do I believe in that God? Do I really believe in a God who loves me unconditionally such that the whole foundation of my life might be secured and so I could live with boldness, with assuredness? And it's interesting, right? As John describes it, the result of the incarnation isn't simply that we become children of God. It's that we receive power to become children of God. And the word is exousia here, authority. It's not that we receive some like magical power. The, the point is that the choice is ours. God doesn't unilaterally make us children of God. I mean, in some sense, we are God's children whether we like it or not. Um, we're God's creatures. We're profoundly loved no matter what. But there's something particular about the sort of relationship that, that John is describing here. It, it includes, as it says here, it includes receiving Jesus and believing in his name. Which I think it, it means re receiving this offer of love and actually um, trust, right, belief and trust are the same, same concept. And actually trusting in that sort of love, letting that love become a foundation from which we actually live our lives. And later in John, Jesus talks about glorif us glorifying God through living the life that God would have us live. We, we then live in such a way that our lives produce external evidence of God's belovedness in our eyes. It's not like reciprocal. <laughs> it's always, we're always, God is always outgiving us immeasurably. But that relationship is one that God doesn't choose for us. Rather, God gives us the choice to opt in. And after my encounter with my student, I'm sort of left wondering, like, have, have I really opted in? What would it mean to truly opt in, to exercise this authority that we've been given, to make a decision to receive and to believe You know, we often distinguish between um, uh, families of origin and cho chosen families, right? And often for, we make that distinction for good reason. Uh, for many, um, families of origin haven't been safe, haven't been loving, and God has provided family by other means, chosen family, family that we, that we opt into. I take it that God's invitation today is an invitation to something that many in this room have given up hoping for. And again, in some cases, not without good reason. That is, an, it, this is an invitation to a family of origin that is also, at the same time, worth choosing. 
right? A family of origin worth opting into. And that, I take it, is what it means to become children of God in the sense that John talks about it. It's to opt in to our, like, our family of capital O origin, right? Letting that family also become our family of choice. And to receive that love that's on offer and make a decision to trust that love such that we can live a whole different sort of life than we are living when we are living in order to try to earn or deserve or sort of, yeah, win the foundation of our lives. I want to wrap up with a, a few invitations. The, the first one is this. I, I would just invite you, um, if you haven't made this decision, to begin following Jesus. And that might seem like a thing you maybe expected you would hear if you came to church today. Um, our, our text today said precisely how we can do that, right? Just we, we need to receive Jesus and believe in him, trust in him, trust in that belovedness that we could live wholly different sorts of lives than we are living because we have received and believe that God loves us and not in some sort of shrug it off kind of way but in a way that fundamentally uh, changes who we are and what our identity is. The way that the love of adoption, right, changes the identity of the one adopted. That we would come to know that love as inviting us into a new sort of family that is also like our oldest sort of family. And, you know, I say that begin following Jesus, and, I, and I, if, if you are in this room and that's a decision you haven't made, I, I, I would invite you to consider making it today. Um, but I think there are also some, plenty of us in this room who have made that decision, and, and yet this, those sort of steps of receiving and believing um, in new sorts of ways, right, that sort of like moment I had with my student of realizing, oh, shoot. Are there still ways that I need to receive that love and, 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 and trust it in the sense of build my life on it in ways that I have not yet? And I think some of that step has to, some of that has to do with the second invitation, which I'm calling, take a step to root out counterfeit loves. Um, as I said before, it's not just that we settle for loves that are less than or other than God's love for us. In many cases, we've actually come to prefer those sorts of love especially um, the conditional loves of various sorts, the sorts of loves that um, promise us that we are loved because we deserve it, because we've earned it. So I just invite you to ask yourself, how are you tempted to live in pursuit of love that is less than what God is offering you? There might be fruitful Advent reflection down that road. How are you tempted to live in pursuit of love that is less than what God is offering you? And finally, um, this is abstract, but I think we'll be able to make it concrete in just a few moments. Um, 
I invite you to lean into God's love for you. And that can sound abstract, but and it, and it, can, it can happen in all sorts of different, different sorts of ways. It could happen on a, on, on a walk in the woods. It could happen in solitude, in silence. It could happen in prayer. It could happen um, in worship. And today, especially given the testimony we've received, I am excited for how we might experience that belovedness in worship together. So I want to invite the worship team to come, come um, back up. I do believe that God wants to meet us in musical worship in a special way today. And as we enter into that time of musical worship, we're going to first um, uh, receive communion. Uh, hopefully on, either on your chair or near the chair where you are, um, there should be communion elements if you don't have what you need, you can raise your hand and someone will bring one to you. Right. In the New Testament, um, in the Bible, it says that God demonstrated God's love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. And so when we take communion and we remember that um, death of Jesus um, somehow for, both for us and at our hands, um, we remember this profound act of divine love for us. So I invite you to, to, to take, um, take the bread, the body of Christ uh, broken for you. I invite you also to take take the cup the blood of Christ shed for you Lord we thank you for your love we thank you for the ways that you have drawn near to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you draw near to us in our bodies, you heal us, that you draw near to us in our emotions as you speak to our, our most profound longings. Lord, would you come and meet us here in this place? Could we have a experience of your love here in this place.